Welcome to Between the Gutters Podcast, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of uh, Between the Gutters, and uh, today we're going to do another... We're going to try to do another something different. Uh, This is going to be the Kickstarter episode of Between the Gutters, and what we mean by that is over the course of... uh, this past year with the pandemic and maybe maybe even a little well I don't remember when the exact time period was but me and Drew we've uh we've taken our love of comics to the next level and we've really embraced the independent comic scene and uh in particular we've embraced Kickstarter a lot this year it started with us watching a lot of videos from uh Cartoonist Kayfabe uh, with Jim Rugg and Ed Piscor, and, you know, just via osmosis and just watching uh, just how much they loved comics, it really inspired us to go seek out other smaller uh, smaller comic book projects and uh, smaller creators, and one of the primary ways that we can do that is via Kickstarter. Uh, it's, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's just uh, a website where people can choose to back projects from small comic book artists as well as other artistic projects. And if they reach their funding goals, the projects go through and you receive a copy of whatever comic you, you backed in, in whatever uh, tier you backed it. That sound about right, Drew? Yeah. I, I think uh, most people are probably familiar with Kickstarter in general. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest up until the pandemic started, I knew what Kickstarter was, obviously, because I, you know, I've heard about it and people talk about it, um, but I've I actually never used it. I never I never backed anything until until yeah. the pandemic began. Uh, yeah. So I was I was gonna say that I think because of the pandemic and the fact that we lost some outlets for how we usually obtain comics, I was. I was still jonesing for my fix, you know, like I still had to find some way to get new comics. And because a lot of stores uh, for a while, they were completely shut down uh, in our area. And even when they opened up, there weren't really any big sales going on. Like you and I are accustomed to going to sales and just getting stocking up on a bunch of comics for cheap prices and we didn't really have that this past yeah. year. And with Kickstarter, I mean, they're not, it's not like getting cheap comics or anything because you're not really, you, you know, you're, you're backing people that to help them produce or publish their comic. So you're, you're not necessarily getting a, a fat discount. And, and, you know, sometimes you are, if, if you, uh, if you're an early bird backer, but you know, at, yeah. at that time, you're, at that point, um, you know, you're just kind of like, pinching pennies or really trying to count uh like the amount of savings isn't really worth calculating at that point it's it's more about purely the love of comics and, and just wanting to support some work that you want to back in order yeah. to read some new comics that you might not have checked out before yeah i i'd even say that compared to like what you buy off the shelf in a comic book store for you know a uh, a comic book from one of the big two publishers, Marvel or DC, 
we might actually even be paying more mm-hmm. but it's like you said we're doing it for the the love of the the medium of comics and mm-hmm. you know uh because of that appreciation uh it, it's one of the instances where we're gonna put our money where our mouth is um i think for the longest time it's it's like you were saying we we tend to we're 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 back issue bin hunters you know we we tend to spend a lot of our entertainment comes from just spending hours digging through boxes and boxes of boxes of comics to see what treasure you can find for a cheap deal yeah and especially the, when they're a quarter exactly or even and 50 cents exactly and the thing is when we're when we were younger and we were kind of broke and you know we were just kind of pinching pennies just to try to save money you know that's cool and it's still something that i do for fun because it's just you know a great joy to get a deal to find something great for such a great deal right exactly now that we've grown we're making a little bit more money and (laughs) and we want to be able to throw a little bit of love towards the medium of comics and all the uh independent minds and uh creators that want to just contribute something to 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 just the vast field of comics that are available uh by by doing something a little different that they wouldn't get the opportunity to do otherwise yeah you know like why not i'm I'm down for that and and it's like you mentioned um the pandemic i feel like it was just this uh weird alignment of events in the universe between uh the pandemic and us watching cartoonist kayfabe videos and us you know not having sales and Mm -hmm. all those things came together and it led to us backing a whole bunch of projects off kickstarter um i wanted to mention that because the funny thing is last i guess a year oh well no the previous year before quarantine, before COVID struck, like we had a we had a crazy amount of sales that year. Yeah, you know, we back in twenty nineteen. Yeah, we were just like hand over fist. We were just getting all sorts of comics, getting all sorts of sales. Like the library had like two or three sales in that same year. It was just mm-hmm. it was great. And then yeah, twenty twenty hit and. It literally went from bounty to nothing. <laughs> yeah. But the good thing is, is that 20, 2019 was like the day that or it was the year that we just stockpiled ourselves a bunch of comics. It, it was like a bear eating a bunch of fish before <laughs> going to hibernation, you know, because that's pretty much what last year was in terms of comic book sales. The nice thing is that I've been able to actually make inroads and progress in reading all of the comics that I've been buying. So, yeah, like, I mean, there's, I still have a fat load of comics that I haven't read yet that I bought and I haven't read my copies yet, but compared to where I was before, like I've read a a much higher significant portion. So I'm making progress, man. It's incremental and I'm still constantly accumulating more comics every month but you know <laughs> i'm still making some progress yeah in it feels this aspect of my life ouch 
<laughs> Why'd you have to end it with that with that qualifier? <laughs> because man, between the gutters, it's a real conversation here. So if I acted like everything in my whole life was one constant step towards the future that I envisioned for myself, that would be a big fat lie. But when it comes to comics, I'm doing pretty well. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a song. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. <laughs> Dude, I can't wait until the karaoke bars open up again. <laughs> oh man. So Let's uh let's go into this a little bit. So do you would you care to name a couple of projects that you've backed thus far, Drew? Yeah, man. So I'm looking at my uh Kickstarter uh account right now and I've actually backed eleven comics so far. Uh the the thing that I was gonna say also is that the very first thing I ever backed on Kickstarter was Jim Ruggs comic. Like you were talking about cartoonist Kayfabe and right around uh early in the quarantine, uh Jim Rugg was promoting on their channel. He was promoting uh Octobriana in nineteen seventy six, which he billed as the world's first fluorescent blacklight outlaw comic. And because I'd already been a fan of his comics, like I was pretty into Street Angel and the Plain Janes. I knew that it would be something that I'd like. So that was the very first thing that I created a Kickstarter account for just so I could back it. And once I did that, man, it pretty much opened the floodgates because I was like, oh, now I have a Kickstarter account. I can start tracking projects and uh, backing them pretty easily with just a couple of clicks. And it's not as it's not as complicated or as daunting as I imagined it could have been uh, before I started. So everything just got easier after that. And we'll, we'll talk about Octobriana later on uh, in this episode. And and uh, right now I'll just share some of the things that I backed but <clears throat> haven't received yet. And it's not like I haven't received them because something's gone wrong. It's more just, you know, the idea that things take time. So a lot of times I've, I've learned that when you back something, there's still the, the artist or the, the creators are still working on the comic. So you just got to be patient and, and the money uh, that we pledge, I, I think that hopefully helps them, you know, make some kind of income and survive so that they can uh, deliver on what they wanted to produce. Yeah. So some some of the stuff is still like gonna be months away uh, from from completion for me. Uh, like one of the things I, I backed was this graphic novel called The Trap by uh, Lance Briggs and Kyle Higgins. I forget who the artist is off the top of my head, so I apologize for that. But if you're a, if you're a football fan, you know who Lance Briggs is because he was uh, an All Pro or at least a Pro Bowl uh, linebacker for the Chicago Bears uh, back in the early 2000s and maybe up until around like the 2010s, that era of football. He was he was a pretty good player. And 
I always uh, knew that he was into comics because I, I remember seeing interviews where he he talked about his his love for comics. So when I heard that he was making his own comic, I was I was like, I'm kind of skeptical because when when uh people from other fields who use their use their fame to create a comic that that usually doesn't turn out too too well, <laughs> right? What was that one comic, Mayhem by Tyrese? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly the thing I was talking about, thinking about. <laughs> it's so, usually a cheap, ca- it's usually a, a cheap cash grab, where someone just puts slaps their name on something, and uh, it's a means of just using their their fame and their fan base to yeah. to give them cash, basically. Yeah, exactly. Regardless exactly. of quality. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But when I uh, saw that Lance Briggs was actually working with professional comic book creators, that, that definitely gave me more incentive. And I checked out their uh, site, looked at the the synopsis of the story that they were crafting. Oh, uh, the artist is Danilo Beirut. Uh, I don't know his uh, other work, but uh, just looking at the samples uh, for the trap, it's it's pretty good stuff, man. And Tamara Bonvillain, who does a lot of colors for the big two and image, I believe. Uh, you know, I've I've rec- recognized her name. She's doing colors for for the trap. But this is gonna be uh, like a science fiction uh, coming of age story that about somebody in the future. I don't know if it's really gonna be cyberpunk or if it's just like this crazy science fictiony kind of future but uh it's it's about this kid who i guess ends up uh growing up in in the hood or somewhere kind of dangerous like that and and ends up uh you know overcoming the odds so there there's like definitely a sense of of uh Lance Lance Briggs channeling his own life experiences but using uh science fiction story to kind of retell that that sort of story and, and Kyle Higgins I've been into his work uh for a few years now I remember when when he when I first discovered Kyle Higgins I wasn't too impressed by him like I always thought he was pretty uh average when I was reading his uh I think he was writing stuff for DC that that didn't really grab my attention but then I gave his uh creator own book from Image a try and it was uh called Cowl which was a his own kind of superhero universe set in his hometown of Chicago, which is I guess is why he and Lance Briggs were able to connect because uh, Higgins is a Chicago Bears fan. But yeah, after reading Cal, I definitely uh, developed more confidence in Cal Higgins, and I read his stuff in Power Rangers, which was pretty dope. Uh, I mean, I'm not even a huge Power Rangers fan, but just reading his Power Rangers comics. It tapped into something more than just nostalgia, you know. Like it, they were actually pretty good stories. And like for somebody who who doesn't really care about Power Rangers, like I pretty much read every single issue that he wrote because I was just interested in the story he was telling. So yeah, the trap. Uh, it's supposed to come out this August. So you know, I, I probably campaign probably ended back in like October or September or some some months back so it's just gonna be a while because they're the artist is still uh churning out pages but you know it's, it's just about being patient and 
at some point in the future, I'll get something cool in the mail. Nice, nice. That's uh, it's it's one of the fun things about these Kickstarters is. Okay, for for those that are out there who are impatient, they might not enjoy this aspect of it. But you know, I and I've seen my fair share of people who get really impatient and uh, bombard these creators with uh, comments and emails on on their Kickstarters asking like why they haven't gotten their stuff yet. But you know, I. I just kind of forget about it, and then mm-hmm. one day something shows up in your mail, and it's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. This is a comic that I wasn't expecting to get. Here we go. Yeah. It feels good, man. It feels good. Totally dope. Totally dope. Um, okay. Did you get yeah. anything else? Uh, a couple other things that haven't arrived yet. There's this comic called RDW, which was a which is a fantasy story by Marco Rudy. That's probably going to arrive sometime uh, near the end of this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco Rudy is a guy that we both uh, are familiar with because I, I uh, found his art in some Marvel comics. I think he did some issues of The Winter Soldier. Uh, who was the writer of that? Ailes Cott, right? Ailes Cott Ailes was Cott. the writer. Yep. Yeah, the Ailes Cott Winter Soldier. He also did an issue of... Uh... I want to say it was like a New Avengers annual. Was yeah, it was him? Bendis. It, uh, was it Bendis? It, or was it, it was... an X-Men annual with Bendis? I, I forget, but yeah. he, he's someone who's, who does this really impressive it's beautiful, uh, surreal. acrylic painting. I think yeah. it's acrylics. I forget exactly what medium he uses. I want to say yeah. it's acrylics, but I, I could be wrong. Uh, but he, he paints, and he's one of those guys that reminds me of... Uh, like, imagine if J.H. Williams painted his comics, you know? Because yeah. Marco Rudy does these uh, really inventive layouts where, like, each page, when you look at it as a whole, it's it's like this work of art. But then he breaks it down into readable and legible panels that have storytelling uh, continuity from panel to panel. So it, it, yeah. it it's it's like a really time-consuming thing to create, you know, because I can only imagine, like, how much time he spends just thinking about layouts and yeah. and uh, pre- presentation because that, that's crazy stuff. But it, it's, like, so easy to follow his stories, and it just looks good, too. So yeah. I, I really wanted to check out his own comic that he's trying to create. I was going to say it's it feels like you're reading a story where all the pictures are paintings basically you know like mm-hmm. I I'll be honest it feels like it's almost too good for <laughs> certainly for like a Marvel or DC comic it 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 feels like your average uh like person who just wants superheroics yeah. It, it it almost feels like it'd be lost on them. <laughs> That's true, man. You know? Especially uh, because you and I probably don't have the greatest respect for the masses who buy comics. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sure the average <laughs> fanboy who just wants, like, He King just wants, Black like, muscular guys punching other dudes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, King in Black fighting the Batman who laughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, fighting Venom, fighting Bane. Uh, yeah, just it—it it ain't that kind of art. It's—it's it's, 
each each of those pages in in the Winter Soldier, like you can just kind of sit there and just kind of marvel at at like the brushstroke and just the form of everything that he's drawing. They're yeah, it's, it's almost like looking at post-impressionist paintings or something like that. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And the 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 other comic, the the last comic that I'm still waiting on is Nexus. The coming of Gormando. <laughs> yep. Nice. So, so Nexus. For those of you uh, who are unfamiliar with it, Nexus was originally this comic book series from the 1980s. It was a, a space opera featuring kind of this, uh, I guess, kind of a space ghost style type of character. He's a he's a cosmic hero who's imbued with uh, this thing called fusion energy and his his thing his gimmick is he dreams of mass murderers and he gets tortured by these dreams and the only way for him to uh, break free from those from those dreams is to hunt down the person that he's dreaming about and executing that mass murderer so that's his that's his whole thing he, he executes cosmic mass murderers throughout the uh, galaxy yeah nothing like putting my fist through someone's head yeah so that i could get a moment's peace and a good night's sleep (laughs) the run definitely uh gets into a lot of uh moral complexities and um on top of like character plots and and drama but there, there's a lot of uh, depth to the stories, too. And uh, it, it was co-created by Mike Barron and Steve Rude. And Steve Rude is absolutely, you know, one of my top 12 favorite artists of all time. So he's someone who's, whose work I constantly look for. You know, like anytime he does anything, <clears throat> I'll try to own it. Unless it's uh, that one issue of Before Watchmen. Um, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> But you know he, he's a guy that's been around in the industry for a long time. Yeah. But he doesn't get he doesn't get work that much anymore, man. And it it sucks because you know if I follow him on Facebook and, and social media, and, and I see that he's a guy who who would love to continue working. But uh, the big two, man, those jerks don't want to offer him stuff. He just got no respect. Yeah, they they ain't got no respect for him, which is whack, dude. So uh, when he when I saw that he was doing a Kickstarter for his next uh, Nexus book, you know, number one, I'm already a f- massive fan of Nexus. And number two, it's him, dude. So I just want to support him and make sure that, you know, he's able to to make some income and, and uh, you know, keep on pumping out comics that we can enjoy. So I had to support yeah. Nexus. For sure, for sure. Yeah, those are some good choices, man. Good choices. The, the one other thing that I backed on Kickstarter, it's not a comic and I haven't received it yet either, but... It's this uh, book called Like a Hurricane, which is an oral history of the Street Fighter series. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big Street Fighter fan, Street Fighter 2, and this is going to talk about that whole era of Capcom and, and like uh, a bunch of the stuff surrounding it. Um, so if you're, you're into video games, you know, that, that, that was uh, something to read. And it'll be a, it'll be a book I'm looking I'll look forward to. I'll be excited to to get it when I read it. 
Nice. I'll be excited to read it when I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself, man. Uh, do they? Do you, Do you know what sort of timeline it looks like until uh, the Street Fighter comes in? Uh, probably gonna be a couple more months, I think. Like okay. the the guy posts uh, regular updates, and I've actually read excerpts from it because yeah. uh, the the writer posted some excerpts on Polygon.com. So if nice. you, if you go there, you can look up some of the uh some of the stories and that's that was kind of like what sold me on it you know because like if if i hadn't been able to to read those previews or those other uh chapters that he posted ahead of time like i, I probably would have been less likely to to back something like this but because i read it i, I knew what kind of quality it would be and yeah yeah it's it's basically like a a non-fiction documentary about uh, a video game that I, I really like. So it's kind of a no-brainer to, to back that one. Nice, nice. Yeah. What about you, man? Uh, Yeah, so uh, like you, um, once I, after that first project, backing that first project from Jim Rugg, um, I don't think my, my apprehensions were the same as yours in, in the sense that... Uh, in the sense that not having a, a Kickstarter was the thing that was prohibiting me from uh, backing Kickstarter comics. I think it was more like now that I had the Kickstarter and uh, like all of a sudden I was a after Jim Rugg uh, and Octobriana and after like listening to uh, cartoonist kayfabe, uh, you know, talk at length at about all these various comic creators. It one, it inspired me to go out and to look for more uh, independent and small, uh, small publication comics. And and once I was on Kickstarter, I was like, they 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 had this regular flow of new comics that were constantly coming in. So mm -hmm. it was just it it was just a new rotation of things in, in in terms of the five websites that I check on a daily basis or a weekly basis it was something new to put into my rotation something different and um and it got the ball rolling for me to start backing all these other projects you know like I was mm -hmm. yeah I just don't think I had ever like thought about Kickstarter that way because uh well, I'll be honest, like prior to that, I just thought it was and, and Kickstarter is not without its fair share of these, but I just thought it was a lot of wannabes who who were just looking for any place to, uh, you know, try to peddle their wares. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and like there. Yeah. For for every, you know, uh, for every one. Uh, uh uh what was that comic that you mentioned rwb oh the marco rudy comic yeah, yeah. rw rdw yeah for every rdw you'll get your you'll get something like fire bitch or something like that yeah <laughs> you remember that one <laughs> the thing that blows me away is that comics like that actually do get a lot of backers yeah and it's 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 definitely the I feel like it's the people that loved those kind of 90s comics that loved uh, 
those early image sort of comics, people who just never outgrew that style of comic book storytelling yeah. and ultimately ended up going to um, Kickstarter, like, this is where their fans went, you know? So, yeah. and, and and it clearly makes a lot of money. Uh, they, they, like, there were a couple of these where it's just really skinny, buxom young women with superpowers uh and you know their their kickstarter funds are well into like 20 10,000 12,000 maybe even more you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh 10,000 12,000 dollars is is what i meant not not backers but like people are willing to spend money on these comics uh especially mouth breathers <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, there were a couple that I saw, like, there was one of them, like, and some of them are even, like, well-known big-name, uh, things, like, there was that Witchblade, I think Witchblade had, like, a couple of, mm -hmm. I don't remember what they were, were they were, like, companions, or omnibuses, they weren't omnibuses, but they were, like, super thick, yeah, from what I remember. some kind of deluxe hardcover for the early Witchblade comics. Yeah, and Witchblade is... Yeah, it's it's Witchblade. It's for those yeah. of you who don't know. <laughs> there isn't really a whole lot else you have to say. Yeah, it's 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 very much in the vein of like Spawn. Uh, oh, oh, where... here, Albert. Here's a question: Does yeah. Witchblade count as a magical girl comic? Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Does it fall into the magical girl genre? Is is Witchblade like an American equivalent of Sailor Moon? If you okay, so if, if you're asking in my heart what I think, I would say no, because okay, here's what I'd say. Um, I think if you take the most okay, so this is a continuation of a conversation that me and Drew had earlier today, where I was asking, I was we were talking about anime, and there's a subgenre in anime called magical girl, and uh, the the best example of magical girl. Uh, of the magical girl genre is Sailor Moon. Uh, so it's usually about a young girl that transforms with the power of magic into a heroic heroine and uh, who uses... Based on my understanding, based on what I read in Wikipedia and also just <laughs> observation, it's usually about using the power of love and, uh, you know, kindness... And, you know, all these really positive powers and friendship, you know, things like that to defeat the forces of evil. Okay? So we were trying to find Western equivalents of uh, magical girl comics. I was asking him about that. And Witchblade, I would say, although she is a woman who transforms through the power of magic, I would say that where she falls short is in the second area, which is she doesn't. Uh, aesthetically, I don't think she, I don't think she meets the aesthetics of what magical girl, girl comics are about. Uh, she's certainly not whimsical. Uh, it's certainly not comedic. But do I, all magical girl stories have to be whimsical and comedic, though? There can't be gritty magical girl stories. I would say no. Really? I mean, is that what is that what Wikipedia said, though? I I think. I, I think what Wikipedia okay, okay I'm I'm paraphrasing but uh, from the sounds of it 
it's usually focused around comedy and it's focused around yeah they're like i i don't remember if they exactly said whimsy but uh the impression that i walked away with and i i will go and double check this after this podcast was that a large focus of magical girl uh anime is the whimsical aspect of it so i will say that witchblade is definitely not whimsical and the only sort of comedy that it embodies is the kind of comedy where i'm laughing at it not with it (laughs) (laughs) um and and i would say that she certainly doesn't uh her stories don't revolve around the power of love and friendship and kindness and generosity as the force of uh, goodness that conquers evil. So I I will not I, I I one I personally don't want to consider Witchblade magical girl, and two I I I will uh I will say that by though the definition uh within Wikipedia it doesn't count. I see I see. Yes. So anyways. That was a long way to go, but um, yeah. So Witchblade is basically like a, a chick version of Spawn or something like that. She's got these like crusty like tentacle things that su- surround her body, and they always just happen to cover just enough of her and just the right po- parts of her, so that when you look at her, you see you kind of see most of her uh, skin. But she's she's basically a naked woman, but you can't see her nipples and you can't see her hoo ha. Y- yes, yes. Um, it's like she's fighting in a a, a a weird scabby bikini. That's the only way that I can yeah. <laughs> describe it. <laughs> so, but but that's something that made like a a butt ton of money. I'm sure it made like a whole lot of money, and. For the uh, no, that's not true. I was gonna say for the life of me, I don't know why, but I do know why. It's we know people, why. It's because people are disgusting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's as simple as that, man. People are disgusting and they're disappointing. <laughs> Humanity is a blight upon this planet. Yes, yes. So, but but here's uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up since you you mentioned the the Witchblade Kickstarter. Yeah. There's a there's been I don't. I haven't been on Kickstarter that long, so I don't know how big of a trend this is. Yeah. But in this past year, what I have noticed is that certain publishers, not necessarily, not Marvel and DC so far, but like some of the secondary tier of publishers like uh, Boom, right? Like they're, they've been using Kickstarter to back books that they're obvious, they were obviously going to publish them anyway, but Kickstarter allows them to, number one, front the money through the fans so they don't have to take as yeah. much of a hit initially, financially. And secondly, it lets them tap into the collector's and speculator's mentality also. So like Boom Studios, it's one of the... like After you get past Marvel and DC, it's usually Image coming in at third and dark horse uh, maybe yeah i don't even I'm, I'm not even sure if uh dark horse is still ahead of boom honestly like i'd have to look at the the lists but from what i know 
Boom's been creeping up on on Image, man. So, you know, and there's also like IDW, uh, but you know, compared to Marvel and DC, they're they're like small potatoes essentially. But with Boom, you know, they're 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 small compared to the big two, but they're they're still an established publisher. You know, like they they put out a bunch of books every month. They put out not only single issues of stuff, but they do hard covers and they have uh, various imprints that do some nice, uh, you know, European books and whatnot. So they're they're obviously uh, well equipped and and they have the capital to publish new things. But when yeah. they announced Berserker, which is the upcoming comic uh, by Keanu Reeves, so he's yeah. he's actually going to be. I guess he's like the co-creator of the comic and he's also going to play the main character in the comic. So, or or the, the main character is drawn to look like him. Yeah. Um, but it's also written by Matt Kent, who's one of our favorite writers. And the artist of it is Ron Garney, who's a pretty well-established uh, penciler who's done, you know, stuff for Marvel and DC. And he's a good artist. So like yeah. that's obviously a book that was going to sell a whole bunch of copies regardless of whether or not it was kickstarted. But when they announced it on Kickstarter and I looked at it and I saw like how much they were charging just for these like collectible versions of the book, I was like, "No thanks, man." Like yeah. That's that's not that's not what Kickstarter is for, you know? It's like not it, in the spirit of Kickstarter. It's not, man. Yeah. I I really don't and appreciate it feels, how they're trying to take advantage of people yeah. who want to get something that's collectible because hey it's Keanu Reeves man he's doing a comic and you can you can pay all this money up front and it guarantees you like all three volumes of it yeah. in deluxe hardcover editions uh over the next several years but it's like dude why are they doing that like it's it's yeah. so unnecessary they just want to they just want to take advantage of people yeah. who are into collectors editions and special editions and you know well, these, these these are people that have some crossover with speculators and collectors yeah i mean i they're they're de definitely taking advantage of the kickstarter system and like i was saying it's not in the spirit of what kickstarter is about which is and, and maybe this is my naivete showing but uh it really feels like the point of kickstarter or the spirit of kickstarter was to promote these smaller artists who wouldn't normally get the chance to get recognition or to uh create their art in any other way right yeah. it, it was this additional venue so kind of in the early days of uh comic book conventions what before it became about media spectacle and movies and all that like people would go to conventions and you know, in addition to being a place where you could buy comics and collectibles, uh, there was always the artist alley where, you know, small time uh, or up and coming creators and artists would promote their projects and try to get an audience for themselves, you know. But mm -hmm. it all seems to be going the same way, which is, you know, these big publishing companies come in and then they just throw a lot of money at the situation and it just kind of consumes this space that was meant for uh you know independent small press creators and uh yeah so like imagine if kickstarter in you know imagine like johnny and billy doing a, a a small comic and trying to promote it on kickstarter and all of a sudden 
Marvel and DC Comics are promoting something on Kickstarter saying, hey, want to spend your money over here where you can get this special edition thing that's specifically just for Kickstarter? Like, that just takes air away from the other guys, the little projects, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, another project that you mentioned, like, that that Keanu Reeves project, like, we, you mentioned earlier that when a, a celebrity attaches their name to something, it's usually a cash grab. But Matt Kent, like you mentioned, is actually a great writer, and Ron Garney is uh, a, a good artist. So it's actually a project with a lot of potential. But it's just kind of a shame that they would take advantage of it and uh, of Kickstarter to do this, right? Yeah. And, and I, I still want to read it when it comes out. I might yeah. even get it when it comes out in the, you know, the mass market editions or whatever they would end up calling them. But the fact that they went to Kickstarter to front the cash, it's, that just uh, kind of disgusted me. Yeah. yeah. It's a slap in the face. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did it again a couple months ago with, with Power Rangers. They're going to yep. do all these deluxe editions of Power Rangers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was just praising Kyle Higgins' work on the Power Rangers and Boom decided to go the Kickstarter route for these deluxe hardcover collections where you can spend like, I don't know, like close to a thousand bucks or something, I think, for like the full set of all these deluxe editions that are going to start coming out over the next couple years. Yeah. And it just feels like they didn't really need to do that, you know, like they were still going to make editions that they would sell in stores no matter what. But now they wanted to use Kickstarter so they could have people get excited and hyped up to to pay money for uh, special editions or, or you know, like these are going to be editions that you're not going to be able to buy in the store. So, yeah. so I, just imagine like, you know, 10 years down the line, some some guy who backed it on Kickstarter is like, I'm going to cash in on my investment and, and go on eBay and try to sell this deluxe hardcover that, you know, they, they only made a couple thousand of them or whatever. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that makes me sick. Yeah, it's not about the comics at that point. It's about yeah cashing in. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, and and the success of these things just encourages them to do it more. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, man. It's like imagine what if what if Marvel and DC, maybe, maybe DC because right now it feels like they're the ones that are looking to think outside the box more than Marvel, whereas Marvel just kind of reacts to what DC's doing and copies them. <laughs> But what if what if DC decides, hey, instead of doing our comics the way that we've been doing them, what if we just had a Kickstarter for Batman so people could pay like 200 bucks and get an issue of Batman every single month for a whole year? Yeah, that be, would be. It'll be a cardstock cover with holographics, uh, you know, in holographics covers and and you know all these stupid gimmicks and things like yeah. that it's like just throw throw everything in there make it look real special all these speculators will start eating it up what if they make it where you have to back it on kickstarter to to get it before everybody else does you know like it'll go on kickstarter first or all the kickstarter backers will get it before like the, before the stores get it yes yeah. man that that would be that would be a mess it's super shysty super super sketchy <laughs> yeah totally you know? man yeah uh okay well anyways let's talk uh, about happier things let's talk about yeah. the comics that we actually got 
So I ha- I backed a total of 14 projects, and um, I'll be honest, for most of my projects, I actually went digital just because I think I did the cost-benefit analysis, and for a lot of them, I was like, one, I'm trying to save on space, and two, uh, I'm, I'm taking a chance on something that I'm not too familiar with. So I was fine just uh, backing their digital comic, mm-hmm. which which wasn't cheap stuff either. I mean, a lot of it was uh, about the cost of a regular issue, but um, there were there were a couple of things that uh, caught my eye, and uh, of the fourteen projects that I backed, I received twelve of them already. Actually, That's a lot. yeah. Uh, some of them are ongoing, so uh, they'll, you know, they they'll give out an uh, an issue every couple of months. Uh, so I think that's why they're not checked off. But other than that, um, yeah, I, I basically have all of mine. I'm looking at uh, everything that I have here, and uh, everything's come, and it's a pretty cool feeling, man. Uh, so one of the things that I backed was a comic called Ghost Band. Um, this is the illustrator's Anke Gladnick, and it's created by Jason McNamara. And the thing about this is... So, you know, I took a look at it. The art was nice, but honestly, the the thing that sold me on on, on this comic was the fact that the writer is a guy who's from San Francisco, and, nice. and the comic itself is about San Francisco. It's a, it's a comic. It, I, I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, like from what I've seen, it's there's a sci-fi horror bent to it and uh, a post-apocalyptic bent to it, but so it's sci-fi meets horror meets a post-apocalyptic society. <sighs> <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Dude, we got, every every other Kickstarter does something like that. Yes, it, it's one of the things that I love the least about uh, that I like the le- that I probably even hate. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, um, uh, so it's it takes place in a post-apocalyptic version of San Francisco, and uh, that that's. In terms of the premise, that's what I do know. Uh, but I was reading the guy's um, like pitch on on Kickstarter, and he basically said that he was going to take the story and use it as a allegory for all the things that are happening in San Francisco in terms of just, I guess, gentrification and just all the techies moving in and all the hipsters, which is weird because now that we're in quarantine, we're actually kind of seeing the opposite effect of that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, uh, it was, it's very, uh, what's the word? Uh, not poignant, but it's uh, pertinent, I guess. It's, it's really pertinent in the sense that it was just talking it was taking all of the problems with the city of San Francisco as far as he saw it and recontextualizing it within the 
paradigm of a science fiction post-apocalyptic story mm-hmm. if that makes any sense so yeah. uh it makes I got more the... sense than i left my heart in san francisco meets mad max <sighs> why do you do this to me drew <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah. So that's called Ghost Band. It's uh, I didn't get all of it. They just sent me the first issue. That's gonna be uh, they're gonna be uh, three issues total. But uh, that's that's what I've been. Uh, that's one of the ones that I've been checking out. Um, in addition to that, another comic that I got was a Christmas Witches Candy Cookbook, and this was created by Meredith McLaren. So, uh, this was something where just by looking at it, just by looking at the art, uh, it's, this might be, I, I might go as far as to say that this might be something in the realm of magical girl. Uh, the, the main character is a Christmas witch and there's no real story to, to this comic, but it's, uh. It's basically a comic that is a device that's used to. Uh, it's a comic that's used to teach people how to cook. So it's it's filled with, I think they said there are fifty candy, fifty recipes for candy that you can make. Wow. You know, so uh, for those of you that are fans of cooking. Uh, this could be something fun uh, to check out. It's called a Christmas Witches Candy Cookbook, and it's just got really cute art. It's it's th- it, this might be telling of my state of mind at that particular moment in time, but uh, I think I just wanted something that was lighthearted and whimsical and uh, that would put me in a good mood. And <laughs> I would say, it, like they're they're definitely as far as I can tell uh, from what I've skimmed of this comic. There isn't a lot, uh, there isn't really a story, but it's just fun to look at. And I'll even say that at the, the recipes seem simple enough where at some point, given the opportunity, I might even go ahead and try to make some just, just for the added activity value of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, a Christmas, Witch, which is candy cookbook by Meredith McLaren. I, uh, I, I guess I'd recommend it. It just uh, I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. It just looks like it's going to be uh, an entertaining experience. And uh, the the last comic uh, that I received was Skies of Fire. Uh, this is something. Uh, it's created by uh, Ray Cho, and this is actually something that. I might be putting into our recommendations episode as my steampunk pick. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't. Okay. So um, to be completely transparent, I don't. It wasn't until we started talking about steampunk as a genre of comics that I realized how little I actually knew about, well, not knew, but how little I liked steampunk beyond just the visual aesthetic of it, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Like, I think mm-hmm. I liked the idea of steampunk and the imagery behind steampunk, but it wasn't until I was tasked with uh, finding a, my favorite steampunk-based comic that I realized that I didn't have any steampunk comics that I actually <laughs> could think of. Like, yeah. I really could not name one. I, I really was, like, trying to bend over backwards just to, like, find it. I, I was scouring all, like, various places on the internet just trying to find steampunk-specific comics, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I came across this Skies of Fire by Ray Cho, and... I'm still not 100% sure that I would call it steampunk in in his description. Uh, He even refers to it as diesel punk, which kind of made me mad because I was like, I just need (laughs) some steampunk to put in there. (laughs) (laughs) Now on a technicality, you can't use it as your steampunk. I know, right? (laughs) Well, but... Okay, so... The thing about Skies of Fire is that it's not I would say that it's not uh it might not be steampunk in the in the sense that it has like a clockwork man or you know uh giant robots or whatever but uh I will say this it's it's not the most complicated story or complex story, but the artwork is just beautiful uh yeah. it's 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 a comic that's about a it, it's 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 about a land where there are all these warring countries and the primary mode of uh warfare and transportation are dirigibles and airships. So mm-hmm. it's it's a comic that's just filled with cool technology and uh air battles, you know? So, uh, so if it does count as steampunk for having those things, which some people, depending on who you ask, they would say that that, you know, having a dirigible and an airship and a blimp, uh, those would count as steampunk for, for the sake of, uh, my convenience, I'm going to count it as steampunk. (laughs) (laughs) But are they actually steam powered or diesel powered? Leave me alone, Drew. <laughs> Why don't you leave me alone, man? <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's just gorgeous artwork, and um, it's fun to see all these ship battles in in the in midair. You know, it's 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 the type of thing where uh, I can honestly say that. I don't think that their their plot is anything too sophisticated, but the artwork and the and the promise of adventure is more than enough to satisfy me when it comes to uh, this comic. So you so, already read the whole thing, or read all that you've received? Uh, so the thing about it is, I I think I found it on Hoopla at the library. Oh. Yeah. So. I I I don't think that they're because they, I feel like these guys are a really small press uh, publication because they do have their own website and uh you know they they did well enough to uh 
yeah, they did well enough to get the library to pick them up, you know? Yeah. um, So, yeah, so the thing is, when I found this uh, Kickstarter, they had already, they've been releasing them uh, as single issues, and at when I had found them, they had already released up to the seventh issue, and the first four had already been collected into a hardcover edition that you can definitely find online. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's called Skies of Fire uh, I, by Ray Cho. I need to look for the company that produces them, but uh, it was a really great deal, actually. I ended up buying the hard... So after I read it from uh, Hoopla digitally off the library... I I decided that the deal that they offered was pretty worth it. So mm-hmm. it was $25 and I got the hardcover edition of the first four issues and nice. digital editions of all seven issues that are out currently. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. And that's for 25 bucks, that's a better deal than most of the other kickstarters to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So it's it's something that I was glad to get as a as a hardcover and uh when the next Kickstarter happens for the second hardcover I'm probably going to back that and pick that up too. Yeah. So those are the comics that I've been uh working on uh, well those are some of the comics that I've accumulated. Um mm-hmm. But those aren't the ones that we're going to give a little bit more of an in-depth discussion about uh, for for this podcast. Um, yeah, I think that's as good as a transition as any. But uh, yeah, we can talk about the comics that we have received and that we have read. Exactly, exactly. So, do you want to give us the first comic that you have? Uh, one of the 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 one that you'd like to give a little bit of uh, exposure and light to. Yeah, I'll start off with this uh, anthology that I got. This one was something I got uh, purely digitally because it was an anthology by a bunch of people that I never heard of. So the the book itself is called Threads, Secret Places, a comic anthology by Spider Forest, which is a webcomic collective. So most of these creators are people I've never heard of before. It's about 130 pages. I read the whole thing. Uh, and I was basically just taking a risk on it. You know, it was five bucks for the digital edition. So I didn't think it was like too big a deal uh, to, to just try something different and support people that, uh, you know, I never heard of them, but they just love making comics. So I had to check it out. I read it all. I'd say like a lot of anthologies, it's probably hit and miss or i mean it's definitely hit and miss like there were there were some stories that were uh you know i don't want to insult or disrespect people but there there are some of the story there were some stories that were probably more on the amateurish side and you know me man like if if a comic has really bad lettering i can't really stand it like if a comic has really amateurish looking lettering, then it's hard for me to take it seriously. And most of uh, these comics, I think the artists probably just lettered them themselves. So it kind of varies in terms of quality. 
not not just the art the the drawing quality and the storytelling quality but even you know the basic stuff like the lettering so there were definitely points where i was looking at stuff and it wasn't too pleasant to look at like you, you know there's people making web comics where uh it's just like really weird looking photoshop colors and everything just kind of looks pasted on it looks like it looks like how web comics used to look back in like the early 2000s you know like 20 years ago when people were still figuring out how to do colors on computers so it it, it kind of just like some of the stories looks kind of bad so I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest um but there were a few stories here and there that were pretty impressive too like there were some stories that that had really professional looking artwork that had uh you know you could tell that the people were just natural at at telling stories in the medium of comics they were pretty fun to read too like there was this one story i remember uh that was, it was about uh a king that was a dog so it's like imagine a, a medieval kingdom but the king of the kingdom was a dog um and he, he could talk so people could understand him but he still acted like a dog right so like there would be just like these funny one-page gags where he's in his castle and he looks out the window and he's like guards an intruder capture him and then you and then the next panel is like these knights in shining armor chasing a squirrel <laughs> because you know he's the king and dogs like to chase squirrels so he had his own soldiers chase the squirrel they, like they catch the squirrel and then like the last page of the gag is the squirrel is about to get hanged at the gallows so it's like <laughs> it's just it's just silly man but stuff funny. like that it, it was it was pretty adorable and it made me laugh yeah, yeah. and there there were some stories that were kind of on the poetic side i don't really know if, i don't think i could say that there was really a theme underlying every single story like it's called threads secret places and i guess you can make the argument that a lot of the stories tend to be about some kind of secret place uh, but, you know, for some of them, I, I couldn't really f see the connection, but I just enjoyed each story f um, individually on its own, you know, without looking for an overall theme to the anthology. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was a cool way to just check out a bunch of people that I never heard of before. Um, and I'll, I'll certainly keep an eye out for more stuff from the spider forest collective in the future. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, man? What's, what's something that, uh, you, you have already read. So this is actually one of my more recent pickups. Uh, it's a comic called, it's hard to pronounce. It's called mouth Vallis. That's M A W R T H. And Vallis, V-A-L-L-I-I-S. So the thing that caught me about this particular comic was the the design and the art style of it all. It's 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 a comic where um well okay the main gimmick of it is that it's a it takes place on an alien planet. So it's not necessarily a silent comic because the the characters that are involved in the story they actually do talk but they all 
they don't speak in any language that any of us is familiar with. So the entire comic is in an alien language, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's really a, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I feel like tour de force would be, uh, overselling it and it might be a bit much, but it's, it's really a showcase for like, for visual storytelling is, is what I was going to say, you know? Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the story takes place on this planet, and it's it's by a creator by the name of I I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's E P H K, uh, and he's based uh, or they're based in Germany in Berlin, and uh, the website for this particular creator is clandestinerepublic.com, and uh he's got like this really cool style it's it it takes place uh, the story takes place on this uh planet and it starts off with this space station that gets attacked by this uh this opposing pilot and one of the defenders of the space station goes out and there's just this crazy uh dogfight in in space and eventually uh they the two uh, pilots crash land inside this portal and they just go on this pretty crazy adventure and uh, there's a twist at the end you know it's it's a pretty simple premise and it's it's a pretty quick read but it's it's really just cool to look at like just looking at the alien landscape and all the different technology and there are some pretty incredible splash pages where uh they show like the layout of the space station or the the various working parts of the 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 fighter ships fighter fighter jets that the pilots are using mm-hmm. uh, and you know it, it's just cool looking at these uh these charts that break down like what everything is but the thing is because it's all in an alien language it's not like you can understand it anyways but from just the visual cues you get the general gist of what it is that uh, that uh, each part of the ship serves, you know? And, yeah. And they even, from what I remember, there's even a page where they show the pilots and you see, like, the various uh, pouches and gear that they have on, tactical gear that they ha- have on. And, again, it's just cool because it's not in... It's not in a language that I understand, but just based on the the little visual uh, guides that they give you, you can look at that and you you just inherently get what it is that each part of their tactical gear does, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like the one last thing that I have to mention, uh, and it's kind of funny because. I was just ragging on Witchblade for this earlier, but <laughs> like <laughs> he. So just so that it's not a surprise to anyone, the main characters are. Uh, so you don't see their faces at first, but you can definitely tell that they're women, and they have these like really tight like space uh, spacesuits on. It just shows off all of their curves, and it's just are, super. Are they space bikinis? They're not space bikinis, but the thing is, they're almost flesh-toned. 
So <laughs> they're they're uh they're flight suits is what they are. They're flight suits, but they're flesh toned and they're very form fitting. So it uh-huh. looks like that. And and based on where the uh the piping is, it you know it. <laughs> the piping. You know the the suits piping the uh, I don't know what those are. I'm pretty sure it's called piping. The like the little treads. You know, you know what I mean. Uh, okay. not exactly. Um. So. So when you have like a uh like a flight suit or something, uh, there's. Uh, I guess they're like little seams. They put those little. Uh, it's something that they put over the seams of the of the of the clothing, you know. Okay. And it just kind of uh goes throughout uh the the suit. Sure. But. The placement of it really does make it look like uh, it's like ju- just the way that it's designed and where everything is placed. It it almost it it, it teases uh, certain aspects of the female anatomy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. So so as a as a viewer, you're like, well, they're clothed. I like I I logically understand that they are clothed but at the same time i also understand what's underneath the clothing (laughs) (laughs) if that makes any sense yeah so so they're hot basically is what i'm trying to say (laughs) nice (laughs) that was a that was a long way to get to that point Yeah, they're just like very buxom, attractive women, and um, but you know it's really cool. It's a really cool art style, and uh, I like everyone's just got these really like form-fitting spacesuits on. But it's it's regardless of that, I you know I still appreciate the 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 artistic aspect of it all. I I think it's um, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's it's a good-looking comic, you know. Nice. Is that still available to purchase for people who didn't back it on Kickstarter? Uh, I don't know if you can still get. I I think the Kickstarter is closed, but I believe you might be able to get on his site. Uh, What was it? Clandestine something. Uh, hold on. Let me put up clandestinerepublic.com. Clandestine. Clandestine Republic. Clandestine or clandestine. You you were calling it clandestine like the alan davis comic <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah like if you check out his artwork it's really cool looking stuff I, it's it kind of reminds me of uh well okay i was gonna say earlier that the style of it we mentioned this in an earlier podcast but it it kind of reminds me of like heavy metal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and the way that he draws a lot of these girls also reminds me of like what's that called like the pinup you know those old pinup models like mm-hmm. for in like the 50s or whatever uh like, when like betty page or something yeah exactly like that's i i feel like that's definitely a lot of influence on on his like personal aesthetic mm-hmm. you know so you you definitely do see like a lot of those poses and uh those figures in his in his in his art yeah i don't even know if it's a dude like in this person's art 
like I like they didn't really give too much information on uh there's not really a creator bio yeah exactly exactly he and I'm pretty sure EPHK like if I had to guess that's probably uh just a pen name pseudonym or something yeah, yeah exactly yeah but uh check out the website and you know see if you can hit him up for a copy yeah what you got what's what's another comic that you uh backed and had a chance to check out drew there's this comic called uh paris 2119 so paris 2119 it's uh published by magnetic press and the writer is a guy named zepp i guess he's just uh he goes by one name, and the artist is Dominique uh, Dominique Bertail. So these guys are uh, European creators, creators, and the the comic is published in that European album format. So it's like got bigger dimensions than your uh, usual American comic book, and because the pages are bigger, uh, the storytelling it's I'd, I'd say like. The, the density of panels tends to be more than you'd see on an, on a single page of an American comic, but it's the way that this particular comic is written. The words uh, aren't dense. Like there isn't. It's not. It's not Claremontesque at all. You know. Like he, Zepp definitely trusts the artist to tell the story, and Dominic Bertel is an amazing artist. Like I'd never heard of either of them before like one of my biggest gaps in my comic book knowledge is probably european comics uh you know i obviously read a ton of american comics and i read a pretty good amount of manga so i i know i know that decently well but when it comes to european comics man i'm i'm kind of at a loss like i haven't read uh that many but after reading this, it's like they're they're definitely these are creators that I've I've definitely gotta seek out more of their work. So what Paris 2119 is about is it's a science fiction story set in the year 2119. And it, it's it's a world where their technology, one of their leading technologies that kind of defines their the world that they live in is instant teleportation machines. So people who want to travel to other parts of the world, all they got to do is just step into the teleportation machine and then they get teleported to whatever their destination is. So it makes, you know, flying by plane or taking boats, things like that. It's kind of obsolete because people have these teleporters. And because of the teleportation, the world has become a smaller place. You know, we think of how in today's world, the internet has made the world a smaller place compared to even like 30 years ago, right? So it's it's a story about how technology affects human civilization, but it's also about this the uh, protagonist whose name is Tristan. He's a guy, a young man who, I guess in a way he kind of resonates with me or I resonated with him because he's he's a guy who lives in this world that has access to all these crazy technologies but 
he actually isn't very enamored with all the tech. Like he's not, he doesn't even like taking the teleporters. He's still, he's the guy who still takes the subway to get to his destination or he walks to the place because he just doesn't like these machines intruding on his life. And he, he doesn't want to embrace them just because they're, they're convenient. But what ends up happening is that he learns something about the technology that kind of causes his world to unravel. Like it, it, it shakes up uh, everything that, that he knows and how he views uh, the technology. So it's, it's really a simple story. It's not super long. It's a simple story, but it has some social commentary about the influence of technology as well as the perils of technology and also uh, how the different ways that people respond to it. But it's also a story that has a lot of emotional heart. So Tristan is the main character that we follow throughout, but I felt like they were able to develop him and give him enough personality that you can actually empathize with him and root for him and and just share in the journey that he undergoes. Um, it was a super satisfying story, man. Like, I'm not going to say it's like a mind-blowing science fiction concept or a twist that you've never seen before. In fact, it'd probably be fair to say that if you've read a lot of science fiction, you might be able to kind of guess what happens in terms of the plot. But to me, it, it's still a pretty meaningful story. You know, it, it still has something to say about uh, human consumerism and that greed and lust for, for more and more and what it's like to live in a world where you don't hold those values. You know, like if you're, you're like the, he's like the one guy in the story that, that isn't consumed by, by greed and obsessed with technology and addicted to technology. So it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating, man. Like I would definitely recommend this story. I would, uh, I would say, well, I, I do know that this, this book is available, uh, in stores. Like you might need to ask your comic book store to order it, but I, you know, I looked it up and you can buy it on Amazon now. So it, it, it's available. Like it, it's not like something that's exclusive just to Kickstarter and it's, it's worth a read, man. Like I would definitely check it out if you like, uh, science fiction and Dominique Bertel's art, man. I'll, I'll post up some stuff on uh, the Instagram at some point. Uh, but it, it's, it's just gorgeous, man. Like the rendering is just immaculate. Like he's, he doesn't use like a ton of lines, like this, but every single line that he does use, it's like perfectly economical, conveys all the information you need to know and gives enough detail where you can really believe that they live in this future world. Like it, it's, it's kind of like a cross between cyberpunk elements where things get kind of gritty, but there's also scenes where it looks like a super clean uh, future. You know, it's like like if Apple designed a city or something, you know, mm. like that kind of sleek, uh, super modernist look. But it, it's, yeah, it's just 
a book that every panel will will trigger your imagination, dude. It's like just full of creativity, uh, especially with with the artwork. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I went through a period where I was uh, going back and trying to rediscover all those old pulp science fiction um, short stories, you know, mm-hmm. from from that era. Uh, and I've read my fair share of those old EC comics, too. So, uh, you know, those kind of science fiction stories with a with a moral those are always fun stories to 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 immerse yourself in mm-hmm. you know like yeah. even lately uh i've been re-watching all of the old twilight zones so nice it, it sounds like it could be something that's up my alley for sure yeah man i, I think you would enjoy it um i'm like i i definitely think that shanice and zach would enjoy it too like it it's it's just a good story, man, with gorgeous artwork. Actually, one of the extras I tacked onto my Kickstarter when I when I got Paris 2119 was Dominic Bertel's uh, previous work. So he did this he did this comic called Ghost Money, which is uh, kind of a near future techno political thriller. And I, I ended up reading that too. It's it's uh, it was originally published in five european albums and the american edition collects all of them into one hardcover so it's it's a nice edition it's not printed in the album format so it's like smaller dimensions like it's the same size as your typical american comic Mm. so the the panels are are uh smaller or because the pages are smaller and it's this one compared to uh the compared to paris it's a lot denser it's not the same writer this ghost money is written by thierry smolderin but uh yeah it's a like i said it's a techno political thriller that imagines uh what happened uh to the secret fortune that um that was built from the ashes of 9-11 yeah so if if you kind of like stories about these conspiracies and and political thriller type stories, it's it's definitely worth a read. Like I I finished reading it and I thought that there were it was so complex that I'd have to read it again to to catch all the things that were going on in the plot. But I you know I still got the gist of it and it was pretty pretty entertaining. The artwork is is crazy. Like compared to a typical American comic, this Ghost Money comic. It's it's dense in terms of panels per page. Like I wouldn't say it's got a ton of words that slow you down. It's not a Claremont comic. <laughs> yeah. But it's just that some pages, man, they got like 13 to 19 panels per page. Mm. You know, and like every panel is important, so it's not really something where you can just kind of blast through it. Like yeah. you actually have to read the artwork. Nice. But yeah, it's it's a good comic too, man. Like I'd I'd recommend Ghost Money. Um just look that look that up at a at a store. Cool. Right on. What about you, man? What's what's your next one? My next comic, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna go in a different direction because in the last one I was uh completely just objectifying women and <laughs> 
<laughs> so I want to prove that I'm not a total pig. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got to prove anything to me, man. Uh, so <laughs> I'm proving to myself. Um, <laughs> so uh, the next comic that I backed was a project called The Man in the Painter's Room. And it's by uh, Jameson Adone. Odone. That's O-D-O-N-E. And there's a brief little uh, synopsis of him here. Uh, he's a professor at Frostburg State University in Maryland. Uh, he's an author and illustrator and creator of comics and children children's books. And um, the, the Man in the Painter's Room is basically his visual... Uh, biography of Vincent Van Gogh, and it's uh, it's something where I th- I'm not gonna say for sure that he took. Okay, so uh, all right, so Vincent Van Gogh was a famous famous post impressionist author and uh, not author, a uh, painter, sure. and he's uh, known for. He's got a lot of pretty famous paintings, but um, one of the most famous ones that I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Starry Night. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's known for being like one of the primary figures in the post-impressionist uh, movement. And let me... I, I, I wrote it down here for those of you... Uh, who aren't too familiar, but uh, from Wikipedia, uh, post-impressionism emerged as a reaction against impressionists' concern for the naturalistic depiction of light and uh, color due to its broad emphasis on abstract qualities or symbolic content. So uh, my understanding of uh, the impressionists as uh, artist was that they were very in, involved in the. Um, they were very involved in the world uh, and their appreciation of the world. So, a lot of the painters that I can think of were like one of the main painters that I can think of for the impressionist was someone like Monet. And one of the things that he would do is he would paint the same scenes over and over again because. Uh, he saw the value and beauty of seeing something through a different perspective. So he would take a he would paint a flower. For example, he could he would paint a flower at uh, at daylight, and then once he was done with that painting, he would paint it again, but this time at dusk or this time at dawn. And each time uh, he would repaint it it was there was value to be had in finding appreciation for it from a different angle from a different point of uh for, with different lighting uh and yeah that that seemed to be like the core philosophy of impressionism and post impressionism followed that up as a idea in that it it wanted to transcend uh the physical limitations of the world by uh like the description said it wanted to focus on the abstract qualities and symbolic content 
And uh, according to, again, Wikipedia, Vincent Van Gogh used color and vibrant swirling brushstrokes to convey his feelings and his state of mind. So, so if you look at a, a lot of his artwork, it did not mm-hmm. look like the natural world. So when you look at something like Starry Night, it's it really looks like something out of a a dream or a nightmare is the only way that I could describe it. You know, like mm-hmm. the shapes are not normal, uh, you know, for, so when you look at, uh, like I have the painting up right here and it's what you see is there's a small village and it's at nighttime, but there's so much motion going on, uh, mm-hmm. In, in the painting that there's like these swirling winds and uh, all these points of starlight and the moon is just radiating basically. And there's this mountain that doesn't even look like a mountain. It just looks like a, almost like a claw just going up into the night, you know? But mm-hmm. again, this painting isn't, it's not really about capturing what the city really looks like as much as it is about capturing Van Gogh's mood. And, um, and, you know, that's a lot of what this comic is about because uh, Van Gogh is actually a pretty tortured individual. He, I, I'm pretty sure he suffered from depression, if not uh, several other kind of illnesses. And um, there was actually a book that was written about him that was a collection of letters to his brother uh, that... I'm pretty sure this comic took a bunch of excerpts from and it's it's actually a pretty detailed account of Vincent Van Gogh's life and you read it? have I read it? Yeah. I I haven't read it but it's something that I learned about when in like art history classes. So oh, okay. I'm I'm familiar with it and th- what I was going to say earlier was I I I'm, I can't say, well no that's not true. Uh, when I read the comic, he did take there. There are certain pages where he he took excerpts from letters that uh, Vincent Van Gogh had sent to his brother Theo. So there, those are definitely part of the story. And so it's a story that just details the final. It details the life of Vincent Van Gogh up to his final days. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, as you know, any biography does, but. The thing that's cool about it is the art style. I, I, I'd say it's a pretty, pretty accurate homage to um, Vincent Van Gogh's art style. You know, like just the way that he draws everything. There's, it, it it's not meant to look like the real world, but it's fascinating to look at nonetheless. You know, the just the graininess of the texture, and uh just the like levels of brush strokes that he applies to all of the various pages to the countryside, to the, to the, you know, to the various uh, locations in that played such a big role in Vincent van Gogh's life. Uh, The one thing that I want to mention about this comic was that in terms of the mood that the comic tries to communicate it's it 
it really reminded uh, it reminds me of like comics by Jason. Nice. I love you know, Jason. In that there's it's it's not a comic that's full of uh a lot of text. There it's not like super wordy, it's not super dense. There's quite a quite a lot of scenes where there isn't a lot of talking going on where you're just kind of watching him being awkward, you know, mm-hmm. or just like the awkward circumstances around him, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I could be wrong. Maybe it's not like Jason because I, I haven't read too much Jason, but uh, he's a, you know, Jason is a European comic, I think. Creator. Uh, creator. Yeah. European yeah. creator. I and, think he's Norwegian, I think. Okay. Well, so, like, maybe you could describe it better than I would, but how would you describe, like, the mood of those comics, Drew? Uh, I'd say the main thing that Jason is known for is his deadpan humor. Mm-hmm. Like, when you look at a Jason comic, especially, like, once he decided to become Jason as we know him, like... Yeah. When you look at some of his really early, early work, he doesn't draw like the way he draws today, you know, like, yeah, like it's still really good, but it's like a really detailed, realistic kind of style. But the way he draws now, everybody's like an animal person. Yeah. And he draws in this cartoony style with doesn't doesn't use a whole bunch of uh, hatching or extra lines, but it's, it's yeah. this very straightforward cartoony style. And a lot of times uh, he'll just use a simple like angle camera angle where he's just looking at the characters from the side, you know, like he doesn't go out of his way to, to be flashy, but he, he tells a very uh, straightforward story. And I think because of that, the jokes come off in a way where it's like matter of fact, like mm. everybody is matter of fact in the story and maybe in the story, his character's, aren't trying to be funny necessarily, but yeah. you as the reader, as you're reading it, because of the way that his story is paced, like the way that the panels look, when you get to the punchline, it's pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. So so I would say that from what I'm taking of your description, I would say that the way that they drew um, the man in the painter's room is, is very similar. It's very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you matter know, of fact. In, in terms of how everybody behaves except it's not comedic there's no real punchline to it because his life was tragic and it's not a comedy you know but i would but say that you don't think it's hilarious when people live tragic lives i think it's hilarious when the right people live tragic lives <laughs> <laughs> that's a great answer dude great answer thanks Alfred. thanks i set but... him up to knock him down baby <laughs> But I was thinking about this because I, I I read this recently uh, for this particular podcast, and there there is a sense of awkwardness um, that comes with that matter of fact uh, storytelling that that's also found in Jason, you know, and and it's like you said, the characters to them they're not being comedic, they're just kind of being awkward or just being what they consider normal or themselves right but i think in some ways that's kind of the idea which was because 
as I mentioned before, Vincent Van Gogh, he was he was a guy who throughout the course of his life, he he didn't really know how to he's he didn't really know how to interact with other people, even though he craved connectivity with other people. I mean, I, I can honestly say that that's the crux of his life. Like one of the main things that I think most people know about him is, um, you know, he was a guy who one of the, like the main stories that people know about him is he, he didn't supposedly, he didn't like the way that his ear looked in a painting. So he cut it off. But mm-hmm. the real story there, there's a bunch of different takes on the story, but one of the, one of the variations on the story was that he, he fell in love with a prostitute and he uh well actually the 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 comic itself tells a, a version of that story and in the the comic the the story essentially was that he ended up getting into uh, an argument with another painter by the name of Gauguin and they were he was trying to basically start a like painter's commune but they had these philosophical differences and essentially Gauguin was belittling Van Gogh because he, he felt like Van Gogh was too much of a naive idealist who mm-hmm. was just far too in love with the, the beauty of the world, you know, mm-hmm. and over the course of their argument, like Van Gogh just got so frustrated that in order to prove his point in his warped logic, he felt that the only way to win his argument was to cut off his ear. <laughs> That's hardcore, man. Yeah. I mean, That's like, hardcore. I don't, I don't know. Like I can't put myself in his shoes, but I'm pretty sure that ended the conversation. <laughs> You've never cared enough to win an argument to sacrifice a piece of your own body to just mutilate to my point. own ear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. You but... must have felt pretty strongly about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, like it's just I, I think it's just all very like beautiful artwork. I really like uh I really like I'm I'm looking for the artist's name again. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I really liked a uh oh Jameson Odone's art in it. I, it's just beautiful pages and pages of um of of work that just captures the like I don't know how else to describe it, but just the like magical realism of Vincent Van Gogh's world, you know? Yeah. 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 So uh, that's something that I. It's by it's it's published by Black Panel Press, and it's not something that I've heard of. And if you go to the to his Kickstarter page, you can actually order a copy of it. Uh, yeah, there there's a link there that will allow you to order your own copy of it, but. When I go to the Black Panel Press website, I don't see, I don't see it for sale there. So, if it's sold out, that's 
it's kind of unfortunate because this is something that I'd, I'd recommend to uh i'd recommend to everyone you know it's just Mm -hmm. even if you don't personally like identify with uh you know the pain of existence that vincent had i i still think that the art the art of it is just it's magical you know how many pages is the comic uh the approximately I want to say that it's 130, 100, and I think about 150, maybe a little more. Oh, that's substantial, man. That's a substantial length. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, I just read it this past week just for this specific podcast, but I have to say, I was pretty, I'm more than satisfied that I got it. I'm I'm happy to have backed it, and uh, it's just something where, even if I don't necessarily read it again, I can flip through it just to look at the artwork because there, there's, there really is a beauty to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was this one? I forget. Did you if you mentioned it? But was this one that you got a physical copy of or just digital? This is something I got a digital copy of. Uh, yeah, but it's you know it's still I'm still happy to have backed it and. Uh, yeah, you know what? If I if I had a chance to get the hard copy, I I might like I I think ideally it'd be cool if I could get this as a hardcover of some sort I, because mm-hmm. that's just generally where I move, where I'm the direction that I'm moving in. But um, it's 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 worth reading. It's definitely worth reading. Nice man. Yeah. What you got, Drew? Another book that I got. Uh, and this is something I would also strongly recommend is True War Stories. So this is a, an anthology book that's edited by Alex DeCampi. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but Kay Krumbar. Uh, I'm sorry if I uh, mispronounced that, but uh, the book is called True War Stories, Tales of Deployment from Vietnam to Today. It's an anthology of 15 short stories uh, that are all written by American military veterans. So they, it's, they're basically like little anecdotes from their personal experiences when they were in the military. And there's a pretty uh, stellar list of of artists working on this comic, um, doing all the different stories. Like a lot of them are people that I'm not necessarily familiar with, but there are some names here that that are familiar to people that that read comics. Like Peter Krause is one of the artists. Uh, Kelly Fitzpatrick colors a lot of it. So it it's it's just a, a really sharp looking comic. And Alex DeCampi, like she's a pretty well known writer, and she's a good letterer in her own uh, in her own right as well. So she she lettered the whole thing herself, I believe. And it, it's compared to something like uh, Threads, Secret Places that I mentioned earlier, this is like way this is totally professional, man. Like even though all of the writers are military veterans who who don't necessarily have a background in writing, like it every story here is like very uh artfully crafted you know like it and there's 
there's probably not really a single story in here that I thought was was weak or or lacking. Like even the ones that didn't instantly grab me, like there's there was still some value in in each story because it's like just learning uh, different people's experiences, man, and being exposed to to uh, something that is not really uh, anything near my experience, you know, like these, these people served in different wars and, you know, put their lives on the line. And some of these stories are, are pretty somber. They're pretty serious, heavy. Some of them are kind of just ruminations on what it was like to serve in the military. Some of them are, <laughs> kind of funny and more on the lighthearted side. So it's like a really good balance of different types of stories that you get here. Like the first story here is, is about uh, this army dude who served in, in uh, Afghanistan, like back in the early 2010s. And he ended up stopping uh, a guy who was going to blow up their camp because he just happened to be out for a, a jog at night, you know, like, and it was just a crazy situation where he got, he got hurt fighting off the, the, the enemy, but he managed to, to save the base basically, you know, like it, things could have been pretty bad if munitions had gone off. Mm. Um, so it, it's like, there's some stories like that. And there's another story where it was about um, a service woman and, her uh, her team who were deployed in I, th I think I forget if it was Iraq uh, I think it was Iraq but they they were deployed in, and they were staying in this building where these rats kept on getting into their stash of cookies <laughs> and like these cookies were like the thing that were keeping them going man <laughs> so they they were like extremely protective of these cookies and the fact that these rats kept getting into them they they devised a, a way to capture these rats and like what they would do is is capture these rats in in, a, in cages and then throw the throw the rats off the roof and it, like that was like their pastime <laughs> and, and and the, the very end of the story is I don't think oh, I'm just gonna tell you what happens it's it's a lighthearted story man but they eventually catch this one really mean looking rat and when they make him walk the plank off the roof like they basically have him in a in a small cage and then go to the like the second floor of this building where where the roof is and then open up the cage so that the rat has nowhere to go except out and when he, if he leaves the cage he's just going to fall off the building mm -hmm. so they, they do this to this rat but somehow this rat is smart enough to like tuck and roll land on his feet <laughs> <laughs> it's just so ridiculous but like it's 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 what it's a story where Man, I can understand why, for why this service lady was able to, uh, you know, remember that story. Why it stands out, you know, like that's that's a pretty memorable story, and um, you just love to see stories like that where you're just drawn into the into the drama, even though it's like they're obviously in a high stakes situation. But she found an angle where she could tell the story that was like a smaller stakes situation within their high stakes situation, you know, yeah. where you don't even think about the fact that they're in a, 
in a in a war zone, but it's more about them trying to protect their cookies from rats. <laughs> it's uh it's kind of gallows humor, you know? Yeah. 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 There's another story in here that I thought was pretty interesting too. Like there's a story about the sniper, uh I think a marine sniper, but he was in a combat zone where he would uh just get posted and and keep an eye out where there would be potential uh gunmen and stuff, right? And like during his deployment, he would he would occasionally see things where he would have the the target in his sights but he never got the command or permission to to fire so like he's just the story is him like reflecting on his service and at the end of it it's basically him saying that he he never he never killed anybody like he's he he ends the story by saying that he's a sniper with zero confirmed kills but on the other hand like he doesn't have to deal with any of the trauma associated with with killing people, you know? Like, mm. like that was something that I guess I just never really thought of before. But mm. to to read a story where somebody shared uh, that experience in in like a I guess it's yeah a vulnerable way where anybody reading this is is just kind of privy to where he's at in life. It's like wow, man, like, I'm just learning about a real person here. And it's it's something where I probably wouldn't have thought about that before, you know? Like, every time we see those stories about, um, like, like, I think about, like, American Sniper or something like that, right? Yeah. Like, it's always about the glory of, of killing bad guys or shooting yeah, enemies yeah. and stuff, you know? Like, you never really hear the stories about, about, the people who were deployed and they might have, they were definitely in tense situations, but they never actually had to kill anybody. So it's, it's definitely very, very fascinating. Like these are the kind of stories where I think reading about real people's um, experiences builds uh, like the sense of empathy that helps us understand the world better. Mm. Yeah. No, I like that. You know, it's, it's a different perspective on the subject, right? As a, it's it's like you said, as opposed to these war stories that that focus on heroism, or maybe in other cases cowardice. But mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a there's another perspective on these on on you know. On, on stories that take place in the theater of war where there's a certain sense of mundanity to it. Is that the word? It's like you know? just mundane experiences, right? Exactly. Like, kind of exactly. Like you're doing something mundane, even though you know that you're in a place where there's risk of danger. But exactly. generally speaking, it's yeah. like pretty mundane. So what goes yeah. through your mind. Actually, you just reminded me of another uh, story that I read where <clears throat> it was this guy who was, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, here it is. He, he was posted in Okinawa in 2002. So like, this is, you know, pretty, pretty much just a few months after nine 11. So everybody's on uh, high alert and things are tense and 
I guess the way that this guy um, shared his story, it's he's he's posted in Okinawa, so it's like not really where the terrorists in the Middle East are at all, right? So he his his job though is to be this guy who's standing guard on the roof of this building where there uh, there are these communication satellites that are pretty important, and his duty is basically just to stand watch because these Okinawan people are putting more tar on the, on the roof. So he's just watching all these uh, Okinawan people do their jobs and it's, it's pretty mundane, you know, but then like, because he's just standing there watching people work like over and over doing something repetitive, like his imagination just takes his, his mind to places where it's like, what if all of these people love Osama bin Laden and attack me while I'm up here. I'm the only one guarding this roof. You know, it's like he's just imagining like all these ridiculous worst case scenarios, like all these people, like I'm heavily outnumbered. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, why is everybody sitting down and pulling out these brown bags? Do they have guns? Do they have biological weapons? Yeah. And it's like, no, they're just eating lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of uh, it. It's hard for me. I don't want to say like humorous stories, but you it's, know, there's a lot of humanity in these there, stories, man. There's exactly. A lot of that's art. yeah. That, that's the perfect way to put it, right? I mean, it's not just these epic tales of courage and heroism, but you know, the theater of war is a place where people still have to be people at the yeah. end of the day. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, you, you, you got that right. Right. And it includes even being occasionally dramatic or silly, even yeah. though, again, like you said, uh, even though the stakes around them warranted on some level because they're in a war zone. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can still have these moments where you're just like, what am I doing? You yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, this this comic, man, it, it's uh, I feel like it's something that I would want to buy for one of my friends who's a veteran. He was in, he he did some uh time in the in the Middle East, and he doesn't really like to read, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't really read comics. But I feel like if I gave him a copy of this, like I'll probably order the paperback copy of this off Amazon or something and, and give it to him just because like he doesn't read in general, but I know that the stuff that he does read tends to be stuff about the military. Mm. Like he'll read like nonfiction stuff about the military and like reading. I feel like this would be something that someone who, who doesn't read comics could enjoy, you know, because it's, it's like the stories are so well done. The stories are so, uh, they're just, so real man like even though i've never served somehow like the human element of these stories just resonated with me mm -hmm. and for an anthology like the hit rate it's probably just like 15 for 15 man like honestly nice yeah like it i think you don't you rarely get yeah, those kind of odds you re you really do man like it's so hard to to find anthologies where every story is good but this one man like i was enraptured with every single story so i would 
I would highly recommend this. And and the the paperback edition is available in stores. Um, so yeah, True War Stories, edited by Alex DeCampi and Kay Crumbar, definitely highly recommended. Nice, nice, nice. Awesome. Well, that ends the segment where we go over the individual stuff uh, that we we each bought separately uh, that, you know, the other person might not have had a chance to have checked out. But, you know, we'd recommend to the other person and as well as to you, our listeners. And um, I guess that opens us up to the next section where we talk about the Kickstarters that me and you both happen to have and just mm-hmm. any thoughts that we might have on it and whether we would recommend it or not. Yeah. Let's start yeah. with Octobriana 1976 since that was the one that got us started. Yep. So this was done by Jim Rugg and um, he drew, he drew it and wrote it and it's it's based on a from my understanding it's what are what are those called uh public domain it's a public domain character from like soviet era russia right yeah yeah and my understanding is that the character octobriana is essentially so for those of you who who aren't uh who aren't familiar with this, but public domain uh, characters are like, you know, characters that anyone can do stories about because their copyright has essentially expired uh, or, or no one ever picked up the copyright for them. So, you know, uh, for example, if any of us wanted to do a story about Mickey Mouse, Disney would sue the crap out of us because (laughs) uh, they own mickey mouse uh in all perpetuity until the end of time basically right Mm -hmm. and um you know and most characters are intellectual property that are owned by uh some corporation or some individual but you know for certain characters that where the uh copyright has lapsed they become public domain which means anyone can write stories about them um there's a bigger conversation to be had about like how copyrights expire and you know why or and why they don't expire and um, how we should in a perfect world everyone should be able to have access access to these characters but I'll I'll save that for another time but essentially uh, you have public domain characters like Dracula is one of them where I think anyone can essentially do a story on Dracula, right? Because nobody owns Dracula. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I believe so. And October, Octobriana happens to be one of these characters, and she's this... I, I don't even know... What is she? Like a Soviet... Oh, Soviet super soldier is how I interpret her. Yeah, she's just a badass Bolshevik or something like that. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, with a bandolier. <laughs> yeah. Um, and bazooms. And bazooms. Uh, yeah, back on that. 
Uh, yeah. So the other thing about the comic is that um, it is the way that Jim Rugg described it is that it is. Well, you have it in front of you. Is there anything that says specifically like it was the first black light comic, right? Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't know if. Uh... I'm I'm looking at the back cover of it and there's like a bunch of text I I didn't I don't really I'm not gonna take the time to read it all right now or anything yeah. but um yeah when he was on the channel promoting it on Cartoonist Kayfabe you know that's that's one of the things that he would uh talk about is how it was the world's yeah. first fluorescent blacklight comic and yeah when you look at it 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 is like it's unlike any other comic I've ever seen like in terms yeah. of the the coloring that and the printing that they used, it just looks different, man. Like it, yeah. The story is straightforward and simple. It's basically Octobriana going on a mission and killing a bunch of dudes. <laughs> so yeah. it's like one one gigantic action movie. Yeah. Um, but his art's just fun, man. It's fun to look yeah. at. The kind of thing that you could just flip through um, over and over. There's all sorts of action, explosions, monsters, <laughs> pterodactyls. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure there's like a Soviet robot. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, like it's the 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 way that I understood it was that it wasn't actually a blacklight comic, but the process that was used to create it cre creates an effect that is similar to blacklight so for those of you who um who aren't familiar with that blacklight is yeah it's a special it, it's it's this special kind of light where when it passes over uh certain colors it almost makes it it, it makes it almost neon or fluorescent and everything just pops so certain colors just jump out at you and that's certainly the case with this comic. It's not that you need... Uh, I don't think you actually need a blacklight to view the comic, but just from viewing it, you can definitely see that it almost has a neon effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun stuff, man. I think this is a comic that is in stores also, so you can actually... like, it, It's not too late to find your own copy if you don't have one. Yeah. It's It's... It's pretty uh, entertaining, is how I'd put it, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Next up, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah. Yeah, next up we have Burn Residue Yeah. by, by Jonathan Thompson, Rosano Piccioni, uh, Joel Folda, and Francesco Hacciaroni. Um, so... So Burn Residue is a comic that we ended up backing because one of the folks who, who follows us on Instagram happens to be the writer of the comic, and uh, he let us know about it and checked it out mm. and ended up backing it. So uh, Jonathan Thompson, I believe his Instagram is Space Station Z. So if you're on Instagram, give him a follow. Check it out. So Burn mm. Residue uh is a three issue story so far uh we've gotten the first issue 
I got the I got the digital copy. Um, Same here. Yeah, and I, I read it earlier uh, this week to because I knew we were gonna do this uh, this episode, and it's a a noirish uh, crime story about this dude who was, I guess, either some kind of grifter or a successful gambler who ended up at one point uh, hustling or the wrong just, people. Yeah, he outgambled the wrong per the wrong people, and they ended up uh, burning him. So he's yeah. he's now he looks like a just a, a burn victim. Yeah, and I, that's why it's called a burn residue. Yep. And yeah, I I actually really like this comic, man. Like it it was exactly the kind of thing that I I naturally gravitate to. Like it, it's got this uh, the art style is. It, it definitely channels that kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like, like I guess noir? just a, noir, a noirish style of art, man. Like yeah. the kind of stuff that you would expect in something like a, like an Azzarello comic or a, or a Brubaker comic, you know, like you could definitely envision these, this artist, um, drawing something like that where things are, are, uh, there's a lot of shadows, uh, a lot of dark inks setting the scene and creating a mood. Um, it's it's really, I guess I call this first issue uh, a revenge story. Like you get to to learn about how the main character, uh, how he was before he was a burn victim. Mm-hmm. And then you get a little bit of what happens to him uh, when he crosses paths with the guy who disfigured him. And it, it's, I felt like this first issue was uh, a complete enough story where if that was the whole story, I, I would have felt like, yeah, that was a good comic, man. But now knowing that uh, there are two more issues, I am pretty curious to see uh, where they're going to go with this. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I thought the, uh, the art really did good, did a good job job of capturing, um, the mood and the atmosphere of it all. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it did a great job of, um, just the character designs. I like the character designs and the, uh, the figures, so yeah, the main character looks freaky, man. Yeah, yeah, it's so, um, like the the last page of this comic where when you see his his face on that last page, it, it's it's like a pretty chilling face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's compelling artwork. I I yeah, mad props to the artwork. Yeah, I, I, and I'm feeling the story, man. Like it it's. It's something that I didn't know existed until our dude hit us up on Instagram, but I'm I'm glad that uh, we were made aware of it because mm. this is uh yeah this is the kind of story that I I would gravitate to. I will say that there are some bits uh, with the lettering. <laughs> Again, I'm I'm going back to the lettering. Like I think the lettering is solid, but I did catch a couple typos here and there. Like just yeah. You know, missed missed commas um, yeah. or or an apostrophe that that was missing. Just little things like that. So, 
Yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if they have time to like do another pass or anything, but if they ever make like a collected edition of this, um, you know, they could definitely clean it up and and uh, just Im- improve those little details because like everything else, like the storytelling and and the the artwork, it's it's all solid stuff, man. Mm-hmm. What else did we get, Albert? We got the the dodo nose by I believe her name is Heather or Helen Helen Gretham Gretham I I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, it's it's an anthology series. Yeah, uh, I guess it's Gretham Greetham. I don't know, man. I'm <laughs> Helen Greetham or Helen Greetham. <laughs> Greetham. Um, I'm not actually sure. Yeah. So this was after Octobriana. This was like the first, like real Kickstarter, like I've like that I backed. Um. I I think this is something similar to to the uh, Christmas Witches cookbook that I was talking about earlier in that. I backed this mostly because I looked at the cover and I looked at the interior artwork, the samples that they provided, and it just was something that filled me with... It looked cute. Yeah, it looked cute. It filled me with, like, whimsy and uh, a good feeling, and it was just something that I wanted to back just because I think I just needed something to cheer me up, you know, something... and. Having read it, I can honestly say that it's a quality anthology. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, they're all by the same person, and there is a running theme of it, it throughout it. From what I remember, it's mm-hmm. it actually it says it right there. It's a short short comics about lost things. So, mm-hmm. uh, you get several different stories all revolving around, uh, you know, things that are lost, and mm-hmm. I do think that there are some pretty there's. It, like overall, I, I'd say that most of the stories were were pretty touching and pretty entertaining. You know, like it's yeah, it's. I'm glad that I I backed it. It's it's definitely something where if I read it on uh you know on a on a gloomy day, it would put a smile on my face. You know, absolutely, um, man. Yeah, like the all the it's a pretty short book it's it's only about 60 pages i think and uh like the first story that i can think of uh that pops to mind is the very first story in it where uh it's it's the story that the title is based off uh, it's about the dodo and one of the things in the story is that uh you know uh we uh we in our time currently know that the dodo was a creature that went extinct because it was such a easy animal to kill that it was just hunted into extinction which is <laughs> pretty grim on the face of it but uh the the short story posits the the idea that what if the dodos didn't go extinct because uh conventional wisdom that was that they were haunted into extinction, but what if they extinct went 
would have instead of being extinct they just disappeared from the earth because time travelers from the future went back in time and adopted them because they just thought they made great pets yeah (laughs) stuff like that you know it's just really it's really simple and it's it's just amusing yeah 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 and and the way that she draws the dodos they're they're pretty cute looking man yeah It's, it's pretty uh just funny, man. The, the the character designs and the animal designs, they're just they just kind of fill you with warmth. I think Exactly. I think uh Helen Greetham is a really great cartoonist, man. Like she's the reason why I ended up backing that Threads Secret Places comic because she had one story in that comic and it was definitely one of the highlights of that anthology. Mm-hmm. But the dodo knows, you know, it, it's all her her stuff, man. And like like you said, like every story, there's like something at least a little bit touching in each of them, you know. And like yeah. because there's a, a a theme running throughout, like it's something that you can read as an entire whole, like as an entity of an anthology, as a whole book, and you'll you'll get like something more than just reading one of the random stories you know like there's yeah it's like the the whole is greater than each individual part yeah yeah man um i totally agree with that there's another story that i was thinking of and this one was something that left a little bit of an impact on me too well there are two of them one uh one was about this lady that gets this pet dragon and mm-hmm. the pet dragon just ends up stealing all of the stuff in her house, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what the, you know, the message, if, if you're really going to call it that, is. But, at you know, yeah, I'll just tell it. But at the end of the story, once the dragon has taken all everything in her home and she's without anything, you know, it's in that moment that she makes a connection with her neighbor and... You know, it's it's mm-hmm. just kind of a a cute little uh, epiphany, I guess. Yeah, you know? it it's yeah. it's like this little dragon uh, is taking all of the the trinkets and items from this old lady's home, and when this lady lost all of her material possessions, like the dragon would just like grab all her stuff and and like build it build a big nest in this yeah. tall tree yeah, in exactly. the backyard, exactly. <laughs> right? Like kind of like mocking mocking the lady. Yeah. But because the lady would go outside and, and look into the tree and see all her stuff there, she would she it she it gave her a chance to make that connection with her neighbor, you know? Yeah. And and it's like in a way it, it kind of feels like a story where it's like all these material possessions that we accumulate, you know, they're they're not a replacement for humanity like yeah my my comic book collection is not a replacement for knowing you albert (laughs) but i would (laughs) gladly sacrifice the life of anyone that i don't like (laughs) if it meant that i had to lose even one of my comics Yeah, the other story that I really enjoyed from it uh, was this one about this lady in the future who uh, 
who finds a way to clone uh, a mastodon and <laughs> oh, yeah. she, she keeps this mastodon around as a pet but eventually the mastodon it you know it yearns for the company of other mastodons and uh it just wants to be around its kind and even though she's developed this affection for this cute little mast uh, you know woolly mammoth creature because she loves it she's she uh she sends it back in time to be with other woolly mammoths slash mastodons mm-hmm. and even though it pains her right and and that story ends with uh the you know the cold-hearted robots that she surrounds herself with uh they come to her and cheer her up by you know just letting her know that they appreciate her and yeah it's really simple right yep but but sometimes that's all you need you know especially you know when things are as hectic and as gloomy <laughs> uh it's yeah it's it's the kind of story that i needed for sure yeah one of the ones that stuck out to me was one of the shorter ones but it was the one about pt barnum oh yeah i like that one <laughs> that one was really good too it was only like a couple of pages but that is definitely something go tell it drew or it's, it's based on P.T. Barnum and how he he had uh, a desire to open up a museum. And three times, man, his, yeah. the, his museum ended up burning down. And the yeah. story just ends with a picture of P.T. Barnum walking dejectedly and a caption that says, If you ever think that you're unlucky, consider that 19th century businessman P.T. Barnum had a museum burned down three times. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple message, but it's like, wow, I, I felt for his loss, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the way she threw him, he just looks so sad. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I do think there's a thread of optimism even there, though. Like, just the fact that even in spite of it, P.T. Barnum ends up being this world-famous name that we still know to this day. Yeah. And I wonder if if uh, young people today know who P.T. Barnum is. I wonder if they know what a circus is. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and you know who he is. And we're all that matter. It, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, essentially the idea being that there's a certain way to look at it where in spite of all three of his museums burning down, he was still able to succeed nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's never yeah. over till it's over, man. <laughs> That's Marvel, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it ain't over till you're dead. Or so. until you get murdered. Yep. As or long until as I murdered you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, dang. <laughs> Not you. Drew, but oh, like okay. whoever it is that I'm going to murder. <laughs> okay, okay, got it. Good to know, man. Good to know. Uh, yeah. So, do you want to go on to the final uh, Kickstarter comic? So the final thing that both of us ordered was Maddie. Once upon a time in the future. So this is a gorgeous gigantic 
science fiction comic by uh, Duncan Jones, I think. Duncan Jones and Alex DeCampi and a whole like an army of big name artists, man. Like mm. there's like who's in here? Uh, James Stokoe is in here. Glenn Fabry, Duncan Figueiredo. Uh, Pia Guerra, R.M. Guerra, Chris Weston, Rufus Daglo, Andre Arujo, Simon Beasley, like all these. That's that's just like not even all of them, man. Annie Wu is in this. Like all these big name artists did sequences in this book, and it's like a couple hundred pages long, so it's it's thick. Uh, I mean, I just got my copy today, yeah. so I, I haven't had a chance to read it. But yeah. Just holding it in my hands, man. Like I got the the hardcover version of it. Yeah. It feels good in my hands. It's it's nice and thick. Yeah. It's got that uh. It's got it feels like matte or cover. Something. Yeah, it's it's nice, man. I'm I'm definitely really looking forward to reading this one. Same here. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Duncan Jones is uh David Bowie's son. Oh, I actually did not know that. Yeah. He's uh, David Bowie's son, uh, and he, he, yeah, he tried to break into uh, directing, and he's he's got a co- couple of movies out there. Uh, uh, this comic is actually part of a trilogy that he did. He did uh, one movie called Moon, starring Sam Rockwell, and then uh, he did, he was able to get his second movie, in this trilogy out on Netflix. I think the second movie was called Mute. And uh and this comic uh closes out the trilogy. And it's it's not like a trilogy in the sense was it, that wait, was was the second one called Mute or was it Source Code because on the back cover it, it lists Source Code as one of the things that he created. It doesn't say that it's part of a trilogy. Yeah. I wasn't I don't know anything about it. No, uh, well, I was going to mention that Source Code was actually one of the... It's probably the m- most... Well, okay. Source Code and World, the World of Warcraft movie might be the movies that he's... Oh, he did the World of Warcraft well movie? Yeah. He directed I'm, it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he oh, was the director for that. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, those might be the, the movies that, with the most name recognition uh, to the, you know uh just from the titles yeah but i don't even know if anyone remembers source code uh i actually haven't watched any of his films so i'm I'm totally ignorant man yeah uh source code had jake gyllenhaal i think okay uh, okay anyways but um no mute was the second one in the trilogy and then this comic was supposed to close it out and it's not like it's not a trilogy in the sense that you follow the story of one particular character. Uh, my understanding is it's just three stories that take place in the same universe. Oh, okay. Have you yeah. watched those movies? I I watched Moon, and I thought Moon was like a really good movie. Uh, what year I, did that come out? I don't remember the particular year, uh, but it is something that I would recommend... Uh, I, I, I'm, tr- I'm looking for a way to describe it without spoiling it, but it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's a story about an astronaut who's in who's who's on the moon and just the the astronaut's uh drive to get home and and his journey to come home. Yeah, that's that's the short description of that movie. Okay. Um, yeah, and and uh I want to say that the connective tissue in all of the three stories is that it, it might be really tenuous, but essentially like when this astronaut comes back to earth, he becomes like a big, what's it called? Like a, basically a celebrity. And, mm-hmm. and I, I want to, I don't know how that applies to this comic, but I know that in mute I think they mentioned that yeah he's he's mentioned kind of in the background you know I see I see yeah so yeah you can look this uh look this stuff up on wikipedia I'm pretty sure yeah there we go but uh, it's like you said, this is a great looking comic. I'm I'm looking forward to checking this out myself at some point, uh, and I might even rewatch the movies just to just to uh, get myself in the mood once I finish the comic, just to feel like I uh, I've consumed the entire story in its entirety. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just flipping through my hardcover, man, and and I'm just I'm just in awe by the artwork. Like it's it's really good looking, man. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm checking. I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now. Okay, here. So, Moon is a 2009 science fiction film directed by Duncan Jones in his directorial debut and written by Nathan Parker from a story by Jones. Um. Okay. Wow, he's been he's been around for over ten years. Yeah, uh, the release was expanded to additional theaters in the United States on 10 July in the United. Uh, oh, a follow up film containing an epilogue to the film's events, Mute, was released in 2018. A third installment, Maddie, Once Upon a Time in the Future, was released in 2020. So, you know the nice. Yeah, they're all. Uh, they're all connected somehow. Connected somehow, exactly. It's not clear, clear, but um, I'm curious to watch because I do have mute uh, or have access to the movie Mute, so I'll mm-hmm. check that out at some point and uh, maybe I'll watch all the movies before I read the comic just so I can get the whole picture. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. I'm probably just gonna read the comic straight up. Yeah, but. Uh... It'd be interesting to hear from you to see how the experience differs when you're familiar with um, the context. Yeah. Well, I would say you should check out Moon. I think it's a good uh, it's a good film, dude. It's worth checking out. Maybe I'll see if the library has it. Yeah. All right. Are there any other uh, Kickstarters that you're looking forward to backing currently, or? I mean that that about wraps up all the ones that that we have. But are, are there any Kickstarters that you have your eye on right now? Um, 
currently I don't really have anything um R RWD was is probably the biggest one that I'm waiting for. Mm-hmm. Uh there was that one that I that I shared with you the other day that yeah, had heavy, uh, heavy rotation. Yeah, that's that's something I might I I'll I'll keep up with that just to to see. I don't know if I'm gonna get it for sure, but it it seems interesting enough, you know. Yeah, I'm probably gonna end up backing it. So heavy rotation is is a uh, it builds itself as a comic book love letter to 80s college radio, and it's by Shelley Bond. So she's obviously a big name in comics. If you uh, were ever into Vertigo, um, and and uh, Albert and I are definitely Vertigo fans. So she edited a lot of the books that we enjoyed. So I guess I don't know if she's like writing all of this herself. I I didn't I don't remember uh, the description, but it's it's. It's got, uh, I guess, a lot of references to 80s music, like 80s uh, alternative and new wave uh, and indie music. And that that's kind of like stuff I enjoy. So this comic will probably be something that'll uh, align with my sensibilities. Yeah, totally. You're You're more of a music head than I am, so... You know, I like yeah. my appreciation for music doesn't go beyond uh, Papa Roach. Nice <laughs> Kid Rock. <laughs> Do you know the Biz Kit? Do you know the Limp Biz Kit, Drew? <laughs> the Bomb and the Bomb and Dump and I don't know, man. <laughs> if I ever become that person, I'm going to need you to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that might have been Kid Rock, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I think it is Kid Rock. Yeah. Limp Bizkit was all about uh, breaking your face. Yeah. And, uh... It's all about the he said, she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I can't... I can't... There, I, I do remember some of his albums. I like, I because I remember there was a kid uh, who who was uh, that I knew who was into him, and he shared one of those. No, the Limp Bizkit album, and oh. I was like, <laughs> even when I try to mention it now, like some of the titles, it's just like they're laughable, man. It's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. He's a ridiculous man. He's a ridiculous man. <laughs> People who still like Limp Bizkit are probably the people who are backing the Witchblade Kickstarter. It would not surprise me. It, it, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> you know, one thing about Kickstarter, though, is that for a lot of these comics, they do that thing you hate where it's always like something meets something. Like, yeah. I, I think I was looking at one the other day that was Guardians of the Galaxy meets Firefly. You yeah, know, Blazing just, Saddles meets The Walking Dead. Yeah, it's it's lazy because it tries to sell you on on the idea of whatever they're creating. Uh, by by like one, it's lazy, and, and like it it sells you on it with the promise of like these 
beloved properties that already exist. But realistically, the your expectation should be that whatever they do produce, like I highly doubt it's going to be anything nearly as good as either of the two things that they mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if anything, yeah. it's going to be like the worst of both worlds and just a bastardized version of whatever it is. Yeah, uh, people shouldn't draw those comparisons to themselves like that. It's just they, asking for failure. They shouldn't. And it's, yeah, it's it's just, do you, like, do you really think that you're th- anywhere near the levels of Robert K- Kirkman or... Uh, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Uh, what's his name? Um, the who's the who's the comedian who wrote that? I don't know. I've the guy never from Spaceballs. Uh, shoot. I. You know. Who now I gotta look it up because I'm I'm I know the name. I just can't think of him right now. Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Yeah. There you go. Mel like, Brooks. Do you really think that you're gonna meet the uh the quality of Mel Brooks or Robert Kirkman? Really? <laughs> just just come up with your own thing, right? Don't insult our intelligence. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think all right. that's all we got. And we're glad uh, that we were able to share our Kickstarter comics with all of you today. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll post up uh, images and, uh, and excerpts from the comics on our Instagram. And definitely, if any of those sound interesting, check them out and support these small, small artists and, uh, you know, encourage them to do more art. And if you guys have any questions for us, you can message us at our Between the Gutters podcast at gmail.com. Was that right? Yeah, that's our email address. Yeah. or We're also active on social media, so hit us up on instagram twitter whatever yeah and we will uh we'll we'll make a game of it you can try to see which one of us replies to you uh (laughs) based on our response so if if the if the response is just 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 filthy and just snide and rude in the worst possible way it's drew (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but if the reply makes you feel extra special and loved and touched to the core it's gotta if it be uplifts Albert. you if it uplifts you and makes you feel like a better person today than you were yesterday <laughs> it was probably me <laughs> <laughs> if you guys know of any kickstarters that are going on right now that we should check out and consider backing. Let us know that too, because we're always on the lookout for more, more comics, more good comics. Yeah. It's all about the comics, not the he said, she said. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.